finishing up a series today, an eight-week series uh, that we started, well, eight weeks ago, um, with uh, a, a guy named Andy Stanley. Um, he put his, uh, put his messages online. They were an incredible blessing to me, and I felt like it's something that we need to hear as a church, um, something that, um, that uh, uh, just has been incredibly challenging to me, and I hope that it's been as well. I've heard some of the stories coming back that through this through this, it's not just been here, but it's affected you at work. You know, some guys um, sharing it. When I was at work, it's like, oh, these guys are mean to me. But as a disciple, I've got to love them. And it wasn't easy, but it was, it was right. And just realizing that, yeah, it's, it's starting to not just be a thing of, of something we do on a weekend, but that, it's, that it affects our life. So I want to say thanks to Mark Jefferson for doing an excellent job last week, just sharing. And uh, that just was really blessed even. Uh, I, every time that... Um, uh, I say, if, if um, we're away, do I rarely ever just get to sit and just be a part of this church family? And I, it's, it, it's just been such a neat, um, neat experience to, to be, uh, be together, be family, be a part of it, and see um, different giftings and different people stepping out and doing stuff. So uh, I want to encourage uh, each of you in that as well. Find your place and, and, and uh, give your best in it. So today is kind of our grand finale. Um, if, you're, if you're into grand finales, um, I love them. I think like, you know, fireworks, the grand finale is the best part of the fireworks show. Um, it, the, um, the end of the marathon, you know, it's like the best part of it. That's where everybody wants to be. That's where you, that's where you see the, the winner. The World Series, after like 380 games this season or whatever they play, they finally get to the end and it's that mad celebration. It's the, it's the big party. It's the grand finale. Um, but today... Even though it's the end of this eight weeks, this grand finale is not like any of those. It's more like that song that your kids, you know, if your parents, your kids have sung this song. This is a song that doesn't end, because it goes on and on, my friends. Some people not knowing what it was, and they'll continue singing it forever. This is the song. Okay, that's it. Um, but you, you, you get the point. It, it sounds um, annoying, but it's this idea of it, it just never ends. It carries on and carries on and carries on. The idea of this series was that this would not be a finale, but that this would be something that we live out for the rest of our lives. That it was something that would challenge us to the heart, that would cause our lives to be lived differently. It's like, it's like marriage. Um, you know, marriage is not all about the wedding. You know, you see the wedding, it's like perfect at the wedding. All the preparation, all the work, all the, all the stuff that's gone into making sure that, you know, the sun is shining perfectly, the dress, the chairs, the flowers. It's this great thing. But how many of you know that that's not the end? It's the end of some things, but that's not the end. That's, that's, that's the beginning of, of a living life differently, yeah? You, you know, before you were just all on your own, and now you're like connected with somebody, and life is definitely different, mostly for the good, sometimes, well, sometimes. So, um, but it's definitely different. And that's been the idea of this, that as we've learned about this, that it wouldn't be one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, that was cool, what's next week? But that it would change the way we live our lives from here on in. So, you know, not, not the end, but it's just the beginning. Part of our mission here at Kingsway is to build a healthy, life-giving church that unchurched people want to become a part of. To, to redefine what people think of when they hear the word church. If in your workplace you say, I go to church, and that they wouldn't go, huh? Ugh, ugh, boring, ir- you know, irrelevant. It's like, you know, whatever comes to their mind when they think of the word church. 
Part of our mission as a church has been to change that, and that's part of what you guys have been doing and doing a great job at it. Um, at it. Somebody even said this morning, I heard in town that you guys have a great church, so I thought I would check it out. See, they didn't hear that from me. They hear it from, from you. Um, part of the reason that we did this series is not that we just want to redefine the word church. We want to redefine the word Christian. We want when people hear the word Christian that they think something different than what's typically thought. See, the, the world views us in, uh, in different ways, and, and this word Christian um, has not had a great connotation. But the part of the problem we've, we've realized is that, that there's lots of people who slap on the brand of Christian. I'm a Christian, but they have no idea what it means. They're using a word, but they don't have any idea what it actually means. And I thought I, I, in my life I found some things. I thought I would show you a couple of uh, uh, places where other people have, have used words. They don't know what it means. Honey, your grandma has just died, LOL. Um, and as it goes down, it's like, Mom, do you know what LOL means? Yeah, I do. It means lots of love, right? And uh, as you go further, no, that's not what LOL means. Mom, Google it. Just Google it. Uh, and and this, this person here uses, you know, a word, but has no idea what it means. Then I saw this t-shirt, and I thought, that's just awesome. Sometimes I use words I don't understand so I can sound more photosynthesis. Um, Great word, but not what it means. You know, the word, the word Christian, too, people have this, this difficulty with understanding what it means, and it's not our fault. The Bible just didn't really give us a clear definition of what it's supposed to mean. When, um, when we look at Christianity, we realize we have, a, we have a bit of a branding problem. People hear the word Christian, or uh, they view Christians in a certain way. Um, they view you. If you call yourself a Christian, there's people who view you in a certain way just because of their experience with Christians. And the words that they use to describe Christians in general are words like hypocritical, narrow-minded, you know, homophobic. Um, there's, they're moralists who think they're the only ones going to heaven, everyone else is going to hell, and they secretly, they, they like that. Um, there's, there's parts where they think, you know, you, you're not relevant, you don't matter in our culture at all. Um, in week two, we saw Anne Rice, and she kind of described, she quit church um, uh, because she said they're a, they're a quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. And she said, I love Jesus. I just don't like his followers. And uh, uh, we realized that, that Christianity has this, um, has this connotation. So we, we spent some time studying that. Part of the problem with it is that we embrace the wrong term. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we took on the term that he never intended for us to take. Um, we realize that Christianity is not defined in the Bible. It's only in the Bible how many times? Three. It's only in there. It never defines it. Um, Christian can mean anything you want it to mean. We know that. We've seen that. People who live any way they want to, but they go to church on Sunday, so they call themselves a Christian. We've got people who can believe anything they want to believe and call themselves a Christian. So what we've been challenging is saying, let's look at what Jesus said. There's people who treat people any way they want to, yet when they're in church on Sunday, they call themselves a Christian. They'll rip somebody off throughout the week. They'll use every kind of language when they're fighting with that person throughout the week. And then in church, all of a sudden, they're a Christian. And we realize that, that even Christians can use the Bible against each other. We learned last week that it, there was never, Jesus never gave us the option to use a verse to unlove somebody. Uh, and yet it happens all the time. Because Jesus, we, we see it in the gospel. He never called anyone to be a Christian. He called us to be something else. And that's what we've looked at for this last uh, number of weeks, is that he called us to be something, and you guys all know what he's called us to be. The word is what? Disciples. Christian, three times, not defined. But Jesus said, you know, the world's going to know you're my disciples. Not, not that you're going to know you're Christians, but disciples. And he defined what that looked like extremely clear. And that's what we wanted to try and 
um, sum up this morning. If you choose to be a disciple, if you choose to say, I'm not going to settle for just being Christian, North American version of Christian, I want to be his disciple. I want to be what he called me to be. Then there's no doubt about how you are to think. There's no doubt about what you're to believe. There's no doubt about how you are to act. And there's no doubt about how you are to treat other people. And we saw this, this uh, so clearly shown uh, in, in week one. And that was in um, this verse here from John 13, verse 35. Jesus said to this, to his disciples, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By this one thing, and it's this, if you have love for one another. Not if you go to church. Not if you got a fish bumper sticker. Not if you've got, you know... Um, uh, perfect attendance, or not even if you believe the right things by this, this one thing, that if you love one another. Jesus could have told them anything. Um, this was actually the last conversation he had with them before he died. This is where he said, guys, come, come around. I want to tell you that after I'm gone, this is how people are going to be able to tell that you're actually with me. That, that it's not going to be that you, you know, have the name Christian. It's going to be because you actually love one another. Um, the Pharisees had challenged Jesus. Religious people came and challenged him one day. They're trying to trick him, which we learned is never a good idea. Um, but they, t- they had t- said to Jesus, Jesus, there's 600 laws in the Old Testament. Can you tell us which one's the most important? And Jesus said, sure can. He says, I'm going to tell you that the first one is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And then before they could even stop and say, okay, um, we can do that. He said, but wait, there's two. And they're like, well, we just want one. And he's like, well, you can't just have one. This is, this is the most important. And the second is equally as important. Equally important. There's a tie for first place that this is love your neighbor as yourself. What he was saying to them is you cannot have one without the other. You can't just say I'm going to be, you know, a Christian. I'm going I'm to love God, but I can't stand anybody else. He says those two go hand in hand. If you, if you don't have number two, you don't have number one. If you don't have love for one another, you don't have love for God. He says all the, the, the commands, um, the part that we've, we, we kind of stop at that spot, but there's this one verse that's right after it that just is so important. It's in verse 40. It says this, the entire law, the entire Old Testament, and the demands of the prophets are based on the two commandments. All 640 whatever laws there are, all of that hinges on this thought, these two things, that you love Um, God with all your heart and that you love your neighbor of yourself. So we saw and realized that that's how the early church started. They would ask this question in every situation that they face. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? If you're a genuine follower of Jesus, if you're a genuine disciple, you owe it to yourself in every relationship that you have to ask yourself this question. When you're dealing with something with your spouse, what does love require of me? Now, what does the Bible just say? What does love require of me? As a parent, what does love require of me? We, we learned this last week uh, as, as Mark was sharing that this week we would think about opportunities that we would ask ourselves this, this one question. And as we look at that, you know, we realize that every time you're looking through the Bible, Jesus was saying, hey, all the Bible is based on this idea of love. All of it. So if you're looking through the Bible for a situation, you want to know about, you know, direction in your life, or you want to know about how your wife should behave, or you want to know a little bit about parents, or, you know, how your husband should behave, you know, you want to look in there about um, what, whatever it might be, parenting, um, uh, anything. As you're looking through the, the Bible, if you're looking for commands, you know, thou shalt not have tattoos, or thou shalt wear head coverings, or thou shalt not have long hair if you're a man, you know, uh, looking through, he said, in all of that, In all of that, he says, look through the filter of love. 
Because all of it was written based on this. The intent of the whole book was love and never anything else. And you know why? This was just, this is the last thing that Jesus shared with his disciples. He could have told them anything. Jesus had like the Sermon on the Mount. He had incredible good, um, good teaching uh, uh, and all kinds of things. Why did he leave them with this? Today in the next little bit, I just want to, you know, try and share with you how brilliant this is. How extraordinarily brilliant it is that he used this. And it's not because of what it says in the Bible, but about how you've experienced it in your own life. There's two categories of people that have influenced your life more than you probably realize. There's really two categories of people who have set you up for your adult life to be the, the type of dad you are, the type of mom, you know, how you date, how you cho- chose your mate. Um, there's two groups of people who have set you up for um, what kind of job you have and how you work, how you handle parenting. Um, two categories of people have set you up for all of that. And it's these, it's these two groups. It's not, it's not the, this group that, um, you know, believes certain things or, you know, went to church or anything like that. It didn't really matter. This, this group of, these groups of people are, are the two groups that we see here. One, the group of people who have hurt you deeply, and then the group of people who have loved you deeply. If you think back in your life, you think through the, the times, it's these two categories that have really affected our lives. See, where it's gotten confusing with Christianity, for so many, our country is full of them, our world is full of people like this, this place might be full of people like this, confused about all of it because people who had, you know, the right theology, people who knew the Bible inside and out, you know, they knew every chapter and verse, people who believed all the right things have deeply hurt you. Maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was your parents, maybe it was, you know, that that other Christian that you've met deeply hurt you as a person. You know, maybe they looked like upstanding citizens. You know, they were, the, they were um, the, the elders or the deacons in the church, and they were your parents, and yet behind closed doors, they just destroyed you. They took the life out of you. They, they um, um, spoke, you know, down to you, destroyed your confidence, destroyed your ability to navigate relationships in your life. Because on the outside, they had it all together, but it wasn't about what they believed. It was how they treated you. You might have grown up in a Christian home and it had nothing to do with what your parents believed. It's how they treated you. You may have grown up in a, in a home that, you know, your parents didn't believe. But that didn't matter. It's how they treated you that mattered. You know, it's, it's true. We're not hurt by what people believe. We're hurt by how they treat us. Prisons are full. And in those prisons, unfortunately, there's pastors and priests who had an impeccable theology, but they hurt children. And those kids growing up and as adults today, they're not looking back and going, oh, it's what he believed that hurt me. It's how they were treated. And they're trying to make life work, coming out under this heaviness of, of hurt and how they've been treated. And our world's full of people like that. There's another side, too. You're like, oh, that's doom and gloomy. But there is another side. There are some of you that, you know, you've been, you've been set up in, in an excellent way for, for life. You've got an incredible outlook on life. You've got incredible self-esteem and self-worth. You handle life uh, well. You handle relationships well. You've got incredible potential. And I I would say that that's another result of the fact that somebody deeply loved you and that you know it, that as you've gone through life, you know, maybe it was somebody who didn't know all the Bible stories. They didn't have all the right theology, but they treated you with love. And it's affected who you are today. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a teacher, a neighbor, a coach, someone who deeply deeply loved you. And this is why Jesus said what he said. Uh, and, and here's the thought. The way that you've been treated, 
has more to do with who you are today than what you believe. The way you've been treated has more to do with who you are today than what you believe. The good news is that with Jesus, things can change. And as you grow and as you, as you go through things. But you know, the, the, biggest, the biggest hindrance to the influence of the, of the gospel, of the good news, has been the way that Christians and the church has treated people. And so as we looked at it, we realized it didn't start out this way. We didn't, we didn't, it, when Jesus was talking to this handful of, of people, he wasn't telling them, hey, you guys got to believe the right things. He didn't say, hey, by this all men are going to know that you're my disciples because you believe correctly. He says, you know, or, or, you know, go out into all the world and, and believe correctly. He didn't, he didn't say anything like that. He just said, you know what, how you behave, how you behave, how you love is going to show the world that you're my disciples. Somewhere along the line, we got, we got away from behave and we got into this idea of belief. Kingsway has been phenomenal. I, as I watch you guys bringing back the, that idea of behave, you make uh, Kingsway a place, and you make church and, and life a place where people just feel loved, where there's this idea of, of saying, that's how we want to approach our world. And I, our challenge and encouragement is this, is to never lose that. To never go from this idea of loving people to, you know, um, seeing who's right about, you know, what Jesus said, who's got the right interpretation of it, because it was never, never his idea. Jesus was always dealing with people from the heart. He, all, he knew what their heart was, and he knew their story. And as Jesus was kind of doing life, you, you watch how the disciples looked at, you know, looked at things, and you watch how Jesus looked at things. And it was like polar opposites, but they were learning to become like Jesus. So for, for instance, you know, Jesus is out there, and all these kids come around, and the disciples are like, get, get out of here. Don't bug him. And he's like, hold on, fellas. Those guys, those little ones, they're important. Come here. And then he, he just says, he puts a kid in front of him and says, you guys need to be more like this kid. And uh, he never said, you know, hey, you kids be more like this adult, like we all do. Interesting. You know, as he goes through, he's sitting there at the well with this woman, and the disciples come back from town, and they're looking like, oh, look, there's somebody sitting with a Samaritan woman. He looks Jewish. He shouldn't, wait, that's Jesus. What's he doing sitting there with that, with that woman? And they're like, oh, this can't be good. Jesus, what are you doing? And, and we know from the past stories that he had sat down with her, told, talked to her about her story and about her life. And she came to know, the, to, to know hope and forgiveness. And her whole family, her whole town came to know hope and forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus dealt with people based on their story, not just based on what he saw. Do you realize that everyone's got a story? Heard the story of a, of a guy who was on a, on a train with his kids. And his kids were just wreaking havoc all over the train car. They were just totally spun. Uh, and uh, a couple of them were fighting with each other. One was just like tapping people and running and just making a nuisance. And there's dad just sitting there with kind of his uh, hands folded in his lap, just looking down and dazed right out. And everybody else in this train car is getting annoyed because they see these kids and like, come on, what kind of parent lets their kids do this? This is just annoying. We all paid to ride this train. We all um, uh, have the right to just have a ride in peace. Why doesn't that dad just get his kids in line? And finally, one of them has the... Has the um, courage to go up to the dad and say, listen, man, get your kids together. Don't you realize what they're all doing? And the dad just shakes right out of it and he says, uh, he says I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Um, he says, We're just on our way home from the hospital where their mom and my wife has just died. And everything in the train car changes. Now all these same people who saw these same kids who at one second was like, oh, they're causing a disturbance. Compassion just fills their heart like, oh man, we had no idea. Can we, can we help? Is there anything we can do? Can we play with your kids? Can we, can we help entertain them? What, what can we do? Can we help you? Same kids, same dad, same people riding the train, 
what changed? They found out the other people's story. And, and, and our encouragement has been this, that every person that comes through those doors has a story. Every person around you has a, a story. You see them, but you don't always see their story. And what Jesus has said, realize that they all have a story. Your friends, your neighbor, the people on, uh, on your street, the people that annoy you. You know, they, the people in, uh, um, who live on the street, the people in prison, they all have a story. And so often we look at the outside and see something and make that call based on that without realizing they have a story. There's a, there's a guy named Mark Bustos. Here's a picture of him. He's, um, he's a hairdresser from New York City. And six days a week, he works as a hairdresser in New York City, which is pretty normal for, for hairdressers in New York City. But what he's done that's been so different is that on his day off, he would go out into town looking for homeless people with the thought of, I want to do something nice for you. And he, he would ask if he could give them a free haircut. And he began doing this a couple of years ago and has gotten an incredible following all over the place, just showing the love of Jesus in a very simple way. But you know what? As he's done this, it's interesting to read what happens. Because as he's um, stopped, not just to throw a coin in a cup, but stopped long enough to actually serve them and give them, give them something that he was able to give, the talent that God had put in his life that he was able to bless somebody else with, he got to hear their story. And it's amazing, one of the guys that as he cut, the, cut his hair, this guy who had been passed by by so many people, he cut his hair and as he looked in the mirror afterwards, the guy said to him, whoa, I haven't looked like this in a long time. And then he asked him this question. He's like, do you know anyone who's hiring? And for us, so many times we want to think these thoughts of, oh, they, you know, they, they probably deserve to be there or they're just lazy or they don't want to work. And we never know what their story might be. It's happened to all of us. I think there's lots of people where it's like that person who annoys you. Maybe they even go to your church. They're like, oh, that person, they just, oh, oh, until you hear their story. And then you're like, oh, that's why they don't have it all together yet. And Jesus always dealt with people like that. And he says, as a follower of me, realize that people have a story and to just, to, to live that out. The idea was not just to ask ourselves the question, what does love require of me? but to take it one step further and actually do something about it. Um, many of you, you know, we were challenged last week to, by Mark to, to have those, those moments where we would, in life, ask ourselves the question. And so a couple nights ago um, on Halloween night, we were on our way home from church at, in Sweets Corners. They had this big, you know, party. So we were there and we're driving home and we'd stayed too long and we'd given our kids too much candy. And then uh, we stopped at another, at another party on the way home in Selkirk and we stayed there too long and they got more candy. And as we loaded them in the van, it's got to be about 930 at night. We're driving from Selkirk to um, Townsend. I'm sitting there and we took Dakota along with us and all you hear is screaming, I want candy! I want candy! And then they're fighting with each other about who wants candy. Beth is in the back. She's videotaping. I'm like, Dakota's never having children. I know that after this experience. You'd be like, no. Um, the, the, you know, Dan says the kids are amazing. I'm going to send them to you next time. But as they're driving down uh, the thing, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm breaking the law. I, I admit I sped like really fast to get to Townsend as quick as possible. And about, you know, just as we're getting there, it's like the volume has just gotten to this point where I can't, I just can't even stand. I look over to Dakota and as he's sitting next to me, I'm like, Dakota, what does love require of me? Right? And, and he, he, he didn't tell me nothing, right? So I'm like, 
So I, I'm there, and, and, and I didn't do anything loving. I just sped faster, got them out, and put them to bed. And I realized, you know, that, that's just great. I asked, what does love require me, and did absolutely nothing with it. Uh, and that's where I would say this whole idea is that this whole series was not that we would come to this realization, of, oh, that's what God wants me to, 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 to believe. He wants me to believe this new thing, that I'm not a Christian, I'm a disciple. And they're going to know that I'm a disciple because I love. And now I believe that. He said but that we would not be somebody to just live, um, believe something, but how do we live it out? That we would actually do something with it. James chapter 1, it says, you know, it's that idea of if we, um, if we are just hearers of God's word, we hear it, it's like, yes, I want to do that. I have great intentions, but never do anything about it. We deceive ourselves. We think that we're actually changed, and yet we're not. The change requires us to do something. So how do we live this, live this out? How do we get better at not just believing the right things? How do we get better at actually loving people that loves them towards a, a Savior, a God who loves them incredibly and gave his life for them? How do we get better at that? I want to give you three quick thoughts um, as we uh, close today is this. Kind of three handles, three things for you to, to take. When we ask the question, what does love require of me? How do I live that out? Here's, here's three thoughts. Three simple, simple thoughts, but they're not easy. Simple, but, but not easy Number one is this, don't do anything that'll hurt you. Don't do anything that'll hurt you. What does love require of you? That you don't do anything that hurts you. Why? Because you have a, a, a heavenly father who loves you deeply, loves you incredibly. And when you hurt yourself, you hurt him. Any dad would say that. As soon as you rec realize that your child is hurt, it hurts you. When they make poor decisions as teenagers, it affects you. Why? Because you love them. And the same thought is this, that, that, that your Heavenly Father loves you incredibly. So what does love require of us? Love requires that we don't make any decisions. No ethical, don't make moral, sexual, professional, relational, any kind of decision that hurts us. Because it hurts Him. And some think, you know, ah, it doesn't really affect anybody else. It's just me. If I make these decisions, it just affects me. And, and we don't realize that it hurts everyone around you. The ones that, that love you, it hurts them. It hurts God and it hurts, uh, it hurts you. Uh, you know, I've heard, you know, people say, well, I, I don't believe that it's going to hurt my kids. Um, you know, I believe that they seem fine. They're going to be okay with the decisions that I make. But what we've realized today is that it doesn't matter what we believe. Hurt influences them incredibly. Hurt influences. So what does love require of us? That we don't do anything that hurts our, uh, ourselves. Number two, don't do anything that's going to hurt someone else. And we're not talking about military or law enforcement. The Bible talks clearly about that. But the idea is about our interpersonal relationships. The people that we do life with don't do anything that's going to, um, to hurt them. Even the ones who've hurt you. Love requires of us that we don't do anything that's going to, you know, um, uh, tempt them or betray them, deceive them or hurt them. Even the people that, you know, we feel deserve it. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe it's the, you know, the spouse that you're still with. Maybe it's, you know, that, that, that parent that just did you wrong. Maybe it's, you know, an enemy, somebody that has just been difficult, um, difficult in your life. He says, you know, a love requires of us that we don't do anything that's going to hurt them, not as a disciple of Jesus. And it's, this one's tricky. Because for some, this is going to involve confession, where you're going to have to go and confess to, to that person that you've hurt and make things right, and that doesn't feel good. For some, it's going to be the opposite, where there's somebody that you haven't talked to, and you've just watched them, and your silence is where you're not being loving to them because you're just letting them go down a path to destruction. 
And it's like this idea where we've talked about in this series that for sometimes it loves like a scalpel. It's like cutting the cancer out of, some, out of some, uh, someone because you know it's killing them. It's never like a sword. Love is never like going out there to do them, to do them wrong. That we decide that, you know, that through uh, whatever we, we may need to say, that it's going to go through this filter of loving somebody, that my words will go through that filter. And if you can't take it from, uh, from a pastor, maybe you can take it from a rabbit. Many of you know this uh, character, Thumper. Um, if you can't say something nice, and I would challenge you with this, if you can't say something loving, don't say nothing at all. If you can't say something loving, if you can't say it through the filter of love, then wait until you can. Number three, don't be mastered by anything. Number one, don't, say, don't do anything that's going to hurt you. Don't do anything that's going to hurt someone else. And don't be mastered by anything. Because when you're mastered by something, when something else is your master other than the Lord, it's going to keep you from loving someone. When you're mastered by something, it's going to keep you from loving someone. So as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, it's saying, you know, I just refuse to be mastered by anything. What does love require of me? Love requires that we get rid of anything in our lives that keeps us um, from having him as Lord in our life, that, we're, that keeps us from following him. See, nobody in your life should have to compete with your alcohol. Nobody in our lives should have to compete with our porn. Nobody in our lives should have to compete with, the, you know, a drug addiction, you know, even if it's to, to um, prescription medications. Nobody should have to compete in, with uh, a misuse of money in our lives, you know, that it becomes God in our lives. The people in our life, if we allow those things, you can't, you, you end up not being able to love someone. So it's this thing of, as a disciple, I just refuse to be mastered by anything because my master is him. He's my master. So what if we decided to live this thing out? Because some of you, you know, as we've gone through these three things, you've been thinking about somebody else. You're like, oh man, I'm so glad my husband's here today. Oh man, I can't wait to get home and tell my teenager to download this sermon and listen to it three times. You know, this is definitely for them. The challenge today is what if we decided to live this out ourselves? What if I decided, what if you decided that, you know what, I'm not going to hurt me anymore? If I've been making decisions that hurt me, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Maybe I've got to get counseling. Maybe I've got to go um, do some things that are going to put me in a place where I stop making decisions that hurt me because I realize now, as a disciple of him, I'm hurting him. Maybe for you, it's just saying, you know what, today I decide I'm not going to hurt that other person anymore. I'm going to, uh, as a disciple, realize that it's got to come through love, that those things have got to be filtered through love. The words I use with my kids have got to be filtered through love, and I'm not going to hurt anyone else because I'm a disciple of him. I want them to see Jesus in me. Third thing, that I'm not going to be mastered by anything. Why was this so brilliant? See, we learned in one of our, our sessions that anytime we leverage anything other than love, we lose our leverage. Anytime we try to influence in any way that's not love, we lose our influence. And as a church, as the church, we've lost our influence. As a whole in our country, our country is not run by the influence of people who love Jesus Christ. And we're in days and times where even our freedoms are being encroached upon, and we see it all around the world and think, it can't come here. It can. What will your response be? Will you be, you know, ready to love? Will you be ready to, um, to, to live out as, as a disciple of Jesus Christ? They lived in an empire back then that was, looked just, you know, uh, uh, this, this idea of not, not owning, not having anything, and yet they lived this, out this idea of love. And as a whole, we've gotten away from that. But it didn't start out that way. It started out with a group of people, handful of followers. That's all they had. 
See, they didn't even have the New Testament that we've had to be able to, to see this stuff. All they had was this command of Jesus. So when they weren't sure how they were supposed to deal with their wife, oh, what does love require of me? When they weren't sure how to deal with their kids, what does love require of me? What, when they were at work and dealing with a tough situation, what does love require of me? When they're alone with their own um, temptations and struggles, what does love require of me? The people around them would have seen this and been drawn to it. See, the influence of that was Jesus was saying, this is why it's brilliant, because you guys treat each other with this kind of love. Everybody around you is going to be like, that's not normal. That is so different, and I want it. See, the truth is this. If this could characterize you and characterize me, if this could characterize our church like I see it and have seen it for, for a number of years, that, that would only continue to grow, our world's going to change. People are going to change. The way they think about Christian, it's going to change. Why? Because it'd be like, yeah, I used to think Christians were like this, but now I know Krista, and uh, it ain't like that. You know, I, I used to think Christians were like this, but now I know Jill, and uh, there's just something different. I used to think Christians were hypocritical, but I know Stan, and now there's just something different. I used to think Christians were judgmental, but I know Grant, and uh, there's just something different. See, we'd love to say, yeah, let it be said about us, and it's the person around us. Be saying, let it be said about me. You know why we say it? Because you can't preach someone into loving God or loving others. And you're like, oh, great, Mark, you just wasted eight whole weeks. <laughs> you, you know, you, you, I can't preach that. I cannot preach that to happen. We can't legislate and make laws that husbands, you have to love your wives. It's the law. Because guess what? They're going to find ways around it. You can't, you know, you can't command your kids to obey and be respectful because we know that just doesn't work, right? They're going to find their way. How does anything ever work? How does influence ever work? They see it and they're drawn to it and they realize, wow, that's something that I want to see in my life. What does love require of me? I'll leave you with this thought. Is it in your heart? Is it in your head? Is it in the, the, the core part of you that this would be said of us, that everyone in my family, that everyone in my workplace, that everyone in my school, that everyone in my community, that everyone on my street, that everyone in my town, that everyone in this county would know that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ because of the way I love him and the way I love others. See, the whole idea of this series was that it would affect the way we think about Christianity so that we would live it differently that we would say, you know what, I'm not going to settle for just being a Christian, but I want to be what he called me to be, to be a disciple. So today could be the grand finale, the end of a series, or it could be the beginning of a, of a whole new way of living out our faith. Which one do you choose? Which one do you choose? Which one do I choose? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need your help. <laughs> it's not something we can just go out and, and do. But as we follow you and keep our eyes on you, this just happens in our life. Uh, Holy Spirit, I ask that, that your voice would continue to be crystal clear in people's hearts and minds as they head out from this place, that as they face situations, that that would just keep ringing in their ears. What does love require of me? Not only the question, but that they'd have your answer, that you'd direct them in what they are to do. Lord, may your kingdom grow. May your church again have influence. And may people see how amazing you are and be drawn to forgiveness and grace because of what they see in and through us. Pray your blessing over this family this morning as they, as they go from this place. May joy and hope and love and peace fill their homes, fill their relationships because their eyes are on you. Thank you for, that, for those who feel like they're in, in tough, tough spots, that as they look to you, you draw them, 
draw them out. And if there's those here this morning who don't know you, that maybe after today their view is, is changing, uh, God, I pray that they just have such a sense of your love and your forgiveness and your grace that they too can choose to follow after you. Thank you for life. Thank you for the chance to live it for you. We shine, want to shine for you today. Uh, see people uh, the way you see them. Father, it's in your name I pray. Amen.